If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Philippians, the final chapter and the final three verses that we will look at in our series that we began, our first Sunday of worship here in this building. I believe it was September the 30th, and it draws to a close this quick. I am amazed. The first Sunday in several weeks that we have uh, not rushed into church uh, amongst uh, absolute downpour of rain holding umbrellas. Beautiful, beautiful, sunny Sunday. And everything, I'm sure, just, just called for you to enjoy the sunshine first thing this morning, uh, grass that needs to be cut or picnics that need to be planted. You have made the right choice to be here first and foremost. Um, and I want to thank you for ministering to my heart already in Song Matt and the rest of the team. Thank you. What a blessing. We are so blessed to be able to just stand and sing loud of God's amazing goodness and grace. <clears throat> we, um, we have some room. We have some some ground to cover, and so I, I don't want to take too long. I, I just want to let you know, if there's a little bit of a slip up this week or a miss step this week, um, I was away, we were away and able to spend some time with our grandchildren, and I wanted to let you know that I, I have done my homework in the book of Philippians, but there's a little bit of confusion at times with the Apostle Paul and how many times I've read Paul Patrol this week as well. So, and, and I have a, if, if I break into like my chase voice, which I do pretty good, please forgive me on that, okay? Homework is complete, but uh, just yelp for some help, and we are here, okay? <clears throat> That's why we need to begin with prayer this morning. So let's bow our heads and pray that God just lead us, direct us, gather our thousand thoughts into one as we focus on him. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we are, we are so, so blessed by your presence with us, by allowing us to have an absolutely gorgeous day to worship you. But thank you, Lord, for the evidence of your presence as, as voices are lifted up. I thank you for Matt and the rest of the team who just has worked diligently to draw our attention to you, to bring us before the throne of grace. Father, we ask, Lord, that, that everything that is said and spoken here now would be for your glory. Lord, help me to empty, empty myself of, of me and, and to be filled by your spirits. My words to be your words, your words mine. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give listening hearts and ears, eyes that see. Father, I pray for us as we seek to be about your um, mission to live as lights in a really dark and a really confused and a really hurting world. I pray, Lord, that we would have a renewed understanding this morning of the gift of grace that is offered to us, what it is, and what that means in the ministry that you've called us to. But Lord, we admit and confess that we just stumble and, and, and fumble all the time apart from you. So we plead now for your guidance to, to, to direct us. We can't strategize ministry. We can't plan it or program it. It must be 
spirit-led, spirit-born, spirit-driven, spirit-directed. And we ask, Lord, for that to take place this morning, beginning in my heart, in each heart, that it would, it would flow out from this place into the community. Father, I pray, especially for those this morning, whatever circumstances that are here, and they, Lord, without exaggeration, just, just drug themselves here. They're just exhausted at the very, very end. Father, refresh them. Renew their strength as you promise. Encourage. Encourage. And may this be a cup of cold water from your word to quench the thirsty soul. Father, we ask this now in a precious and powerful, wonderful name of our Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, um, last week we saw Paul as he's kind of drawing this entire letter to a conclusion. He, he, he gives attention to two primary subjects. Uh, one was the local church of Jesus Christ as he's writing to the Philippians. And there's also practical application all the way through it for us to learn from. He draws attention to the local church of Jesus Christ. And he draws attention to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now what he does, I find interesting in these final three verses of the entire letter, we look specifically at, at one kind of major subject that kind of bubbles up to the top. Really one word that summarizes in many ways the entire life of the Apostle Paul. His life, his, his, his ministry, his salvation. And it's this word that we hear about in like churchy circles all the time. We're going to pause on it today. And it's this, this, this word of grace. I, I should say this idea or this ideal of grace. You may not know that the New Testament contains 155 references, 155 references to the word grace. 130 of those references actually come from the pen of the Apostle Paul himself. Every single letter that he writes both opens and closes with the subject of grace. Great English physician and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones defines grace like this, and I quote, There is no more wonderful word than grace. It means unmerited favor or kindness shown to one who is utterly undeserving. Just pause on this. Kindness that is shown to one who is utterly undeserving. It is not merely a free gift, but a free gift to those who deserve the exact opposite. And it is given to us while we are without hope and without God in the world. Great working definition. We left it for you on your note sheet so that you have it. Of this idea, this ideal of grace. Let me direct your attention to the closing words. Philippians chapter 4, we begin verse 21, 22, and verse 23. Here's the instruction for us this morning. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, period. Greet every saint 
in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All of the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's households. The grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Two points very quickly and very simply this morning. I want to begin with number one. We are to give grace. It says specifically that we are instructed to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is referred to um, in, in, in epistolatory kind of language as a salutation. You think of the word greetings or salutations. A salutation is a gesture or utterance made as a greeting or acknowledgement of another's arrival or departure. Now, this may seem like kind of easy this morning, like we got up for this and like my lawn needs to be mowed and and I'm going to put it off to come to church. And we're reminded, okay, what we need to do is actually pause and, and greet people. Quite obvious, isn't it? Let me just stop here. This is why it's important because we are living in a culture that is becoming what? There's, there's, there's less and less and less and less kind of personal interaction and connection. There's a lot of this stuff going on. There's a lot of this stuff. You know what this means? Like this is universal language for like messed up. At one level, We're talking about the idea of actually connecting, like looking at me when I talk to you, extending a hand, a healthy, holy hug to greet someone in a culture that's so desperately, what I believe is looking for and longing for some kind of personal connection, the idea of relationships, which is so important right here at Big Woods. The word greet in Greek is aposomai. It simply means to, to give greetings. And I love this. It carries with the idea of to be happy. That you greet someone that now forces us, what not in a fake, fluffy way, to actually greet one another with what with the entire theme that we have seen come throughout the book of Philippians. What is it? It's joy. So we greet one another. Okay, now I have to extend my hand to you. And in addition to that, we have to extend our hand to one another with a sense of happiness or with a sense of joy. Nothing should make us more happy. Nothing. Than knowing that God's gift to us, God offering His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Suffering and dying, paying the price for our salvation that we simply could not pay. That we can now receive that by grace through faith. Therefore, having received grace, we are to what? Greet. So that a greeting actually carries with it the idea of its unbelievable value of what I have already experienced and enjoyed through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it pours out of me into the life of those around me. Note as well, this is an all-inclusive greeting. There's some references that Paul makes about what? Greet the elders or greet the deacons. 
Uh, this is all-inclusive, which means it's not just talking about greeting the leaders of the church or the elders of the church or the pastors or the deacons, but greet every single saint, all the fellow believers. It's very clear that, as uh, Matthew Henry says, that Paul has a kind affection. I like that idea. I like that phrase, that word, to all good Christians, a kind affection. Is that you? Or, or, or do you come in on a Sunday morning and you look for the few familiar faces that you gain something from? Or are you greeting everyone, everyone? And flowing from you is the joy of knowing what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Greet them with what we know we have received. Now, I think if anyone gets grace, the Apostle Paul gets grace. Why? Because he describes himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as what? The chief of sinners. Basically saying what? The church of Jesus Christ is filled with a long line of sinners and he's at the front of that line. Paul gets grace. That's why he's able to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may abound in every good work. Let me just let me just back up for a moment and repeat re, re, repeat that. Did you see how many times the word all? It was in that one verse, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul writes later on what. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, God himself offers, is enough. Sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, most, I, I, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I was reading this week about the, the time of um, the great uh, prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was teaching on this particular text to his students. And he said this, there are many passages of scripture which you will never understand until some trying experience shall interpret them to you. Spurgeon writes this, the other evening I was riding home after a heavy day's work and I was wearied and depressed and swiftly and suddenly as a lightning flash, this text laid hold of me. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. When I got home, I looked it up in the original and finally it dawned upon me what the text was saying. My grace is sufficient for thee. Why, I said to myself, I should think it is. And I burst out laughing. It seemed to make make unbelief so absurd. It was as though some, some little, very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river. And the, the, the river said, the father river said, drink away, little fish, my stream is sufficient for you. Or as if a little mouse in the granaries of Egypt, after seven years of plenty, feared lest it should die of famine. And Joseph said, cheer up, little mouse, my granaries are sufficient for you. 
Again, I imagine a man way up on the mountain saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere, but the earth cries, breathe away, O man, and fill your lungs. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. You see, what Spurgeon does is that he elevates the idea that somehow we think that when it comes to the subject of grace, it's kind of like, here's, here's a little tiny bit, hopefully to cover all the atrocities that have what, taken place in your own heart, in your own life. And the promise, what my grace is sufficient, it's, it's more than you could ever imagine over anything you've ever experienced in your entire life. So Paul, in a sense, what he's doing is he knows the powerful and amazing grace and he readily passes it on. And what he does is encourage you and I to do exactly the same. Greet in grace. There's another one I think that gets grace in many ways. Quite familiar to you. As a matter of fact, we sang it this morning. You've heard of this one who was amazingly saved by God's redemptive grace. His name was John Newton, who wrote the lyrics of Amazing Grace. Arguably one of the greatest and well-known hymns of all time. You know these, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Then there's this one line. It's right after that. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. John Newton actually wrote those lyrics not because he thought it would sound really good with a pipe organ in a massive chapel somewhere. I don't think he wrote it like that. He wrote these words because, because what? He lived these words. As did the Apostle Paul. As did what? Every single one of you have gone through many dangers, toils, and snares. I've already come. As I was reading the biography of um, John Newton just this past week, David Jeremiah's book um, entitled um, Captured by Grace. Um, he actually tells in many ways what those dangers and toils that John Newton went through. And I was thinking in my mind, he uses a pretty descriptive word that God saved a wretch like him. He really was that. As a matter of fact, I would almost add to this without any disrespect to John Newton. I think that he would probably agree. Well, we, we could actually say that God saved a jerk like him. He was an absolute jerk in many ways. Now you say, well, that's kind of strong language. Listen to this. Listen to some of the, the dangers and toils that he actually went through at his own hand. And yet God graciously protected him. Listen to this. He was actually at a, at a shooting party. Newton almost killed himself by accidentally firing his shotgun while scrambling up a bank. The bullet singed the edge of his cap, missing his head by a couple of 
inches. Now, now you know I'm thinking exactly what you're thinking. Wait a minute. At a shooting party. Now, we're looking for outreach opportunities at Big Woods Bible Church. Uh, we can have Pastor Josh. I think it'd be a difficult task to say, yeah, check out, check out our insurances on us hosting a shooting party. Although we would probably love to have one of those or, or go to one of those. In, in a sense, he's, he's talking about at a shooting party, he almost kills himself. During, during a storm, he was sent below deck while the man who took his place was washed overboard. God protected him. At the last minute, his captain oddly pulled him away from, from a river trip that he was on in Africa when the boat sank. Once again, the man that took his place drowned. Another time, Newton once tried to go overboard and retrieve his fallen hat, but he was so drunk, he was so intoxicated at the time that he nearly drowned. Even sober, he couldn't swim very good. Someone grabbed him and pulled him, pulled him back. You understand there's, there's a story behind this. Yeah, God saved a wretch like me. God saved a jerk like me. In the same idea that Paul kind of gets grace... Where what? At the front of a long line of sinners, there he stands. John Newton kind of gets grace as well. That's the reason that he writes. Because he sees God's sovereign hand of blessing and protection all the way through his life, preserving his life. Let's examine our own life for a moment. Think about the many dangerous toils and snares that you have already come through. Many of them, sadly, like John Newton, what? As results of our own sinful stupidity. And we reap the consequences. We have the cards, the scars to show it. And yet what is amazing about this is that it is that very subject that literally soaks and pours over us of God having extended to us that which we simply do not deserve. Kindness shown to one who is utterly undeserving. That your life here this morning, by your very presence, by the very fact that you're still alive, is evidence of God's grace in your life. We know first that what? We are to give grace. Secondly, we are reminded that we have received grace. I love how Paul writes. He says, all the saints greet you. And then he leaves this lesson in this, in this benediction for us. He leaves this lesson for you and I to learn. And I want you to pick up on it this morning. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. David Jeremiah both defines and describes the grace upon Paul's life as what? Grace is the magnificent ideal by which he would measure his life and yours. Grace, the magnificent ideal. Think of it like that. This speaks directly of the free favor and the goodwill of Christ that is offered and extended as the greatest 
portion of your happiness. Something that has been extended to you, which is the greatest portion of your happiness. If I were to stop right now and say, okay, okay what, what is the subject that brings you the greatest happiness in your life? Just pause on that for a moment. What brings me the greatest happiness? Is it yourself? Is it your own strengths? Is it your own successes? Is it your own surroundings? Or is it your salvation? First and foremost, it should be what? The latter. The greatest what? portion of my happiness in life. It's not the way that God has blessed me in amazing ways. Even being here this morning, surrounded by brothers and sisters, as we together lift up our voices in praise to God. Wonderful, what? But the fact that God saved me from my own sin. God saved you. Back to this lesson here. I love how Paul gives special attention to the believers that are in Caesar's household. What, like, why, why would he mention that? Why is this here? Well, we, we know as we began the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, that Paul is in prison. He's in prison as a result of what? Roman government, Roman empire, Roman authority. And he's under house arrest. His, what, his freedom has been severely restricted. He has been a testimony sharing of God's goodness and grace. And others have received the salvation. Now what is the test here? Is that, that Paul is now writing back to the Philippians and says, guess what? I have a message for you. And the message is from those that are brothers and sisters in Christ of Caesar's households. This is a direct reference that there were some people who actually stood with at one point, served and worked alongside one, Caesar, who's, who's what? Purposely seeking to cause and inflict as much pain upon Christians as possible. And yet Paul now recognized the importance, what? That these ones, brothers and sisters in Christ, Caesar's household, are lights in a very, very dark place. And Paul is what? He is now gathering together his brothers and sisters, and he is sending a greeting to his other sisters and brothers in Philippi and say, guess what? They greet you in grace. They know that they have received it and they now extend it to others. Th think about us. Back to greet everyone. Well, I would rather just, if I, my choice, I'd rather just greet a few, not everyone. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're to greet everyone. And yet also we're to receive grace from those at one point that would be considered the very vilest, the very worst of our enemies. And Paul graciously what, receives them into his own family and reminds other brothers and sisters that anyone who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith are parts. Even as a prisoner, he is still willing to extend grace. And yet you and I blessed with opulence and freedoms that we don't even think about are so many. 
you realize that we actually choose to withhold grace from many people? Well, they have wronged me. They have lied to me. They have hurt me. They have stolen from me. But, but do you pray that that one who has caused grievous pain to you, do you pray that that one, their eyes would be opened, that they too would receive this amazing gift? Yeah, but, but they're undeserved. They're no more undeserving than you are, than I am. So as you draw things to a close this morning, we, we need to ask, how, how, how are you doing in this grace department? We, we love to take it. We just really don't like to extend it. How, how are you doing? Have you first and foremost acknowledged and received the gift by faith? It doesn't make any logical sense. No, that's what faith is. You've received this gift of grace knowing what Jesus Christ has done for you. Does that, in a sense, stir every single morning that your, that your feet slap on the floor? Does that what, bring a sense of rejoicing and joy in your life? Have you received it and do you rejoice in this grace? Do you purposely seek to extend grace to other people? Let's just add this, particularly to those that you don't like or you don't think that they deserve it. That's, that's where the lesson really begins to hit home. Where John Newton says what? I was a wretch. I was the absolute top front of the line of all jerks. God saved me. Have you realized that we are all equal sinners? And that is, was already read this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you've been saved through faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere, nowhere do we see what the demonstration of grace more than in what we have the opportunity and privilege to celebrate this morning, the communion table. Let me read to you the setting of that upper room that evening where the Lord's Supper communion was instituted for the very first time. In Luke, in chapter 22, it, it says this in verse 14, And when the hour came, when the hour was precise, the, the, the clock ticked to midnight. Many times Jesus had said, well, it's not, it's not my time. It's, the hour's not come. Not yet. When the hour came, he reclined at table. And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this. And divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruits of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who is going to do this. You, you, you do understand what's happening here in the narrative of the institution of the Lord's Supper, that Jesus Christ is actually serving one who will betray him. The Apostle Paul give, gives an example of including those who at one point lived to hurt him. That, that we know in our own hearts and our minds that there is so much hostility and anger and hatred towards others. And we need to be reminded right now, in this moment, as we have received grace, we are to extend grace. I'm thankful for, for object lessons. I'm thankful for visual reminders. I'm thankful that when I see something and, and taste something, that I, that I remember it. Jesus knew that we all needed those reminders and that's why he instituted the Lord's Supper. That this really, in a sense, defines what we are as a local church, that we regularly remember this until the Lord comes. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. As you know, that there's an object lesson of the bread and it was what? Unleavened bread. It was, it was in here somewhere. It was flat, and Jesus broke it as an object lesson and passed it out. He said, I want you to eat this. This is a picture of, of my body. And they ate it. After that, it says that he took the fruit of the vine, and he poured it out, and, and they shared of one cup. They just passed it around. They, they took a sip. And Jesus said, this is a picture. It's a symbol. Some would falsely claim that this is literally the body or the blood of Jesus. It's not. It's bread and, and, and grape juice. It's an amazing reminder of the grace that Jesus Christ extended to us by allowing his body to be broken, his, his body to be pierced, and, and blood to be poured out so that you and I can awaken every single morning as recipients of God's grace if we put our faith in the full finished work of Jesus. So what I want to remind you of this morning is that if you have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, which means that he's not a passing, fleeting, quick thought in your mind. He's the reason that you get up in the morning. He's the ultimate source of your joy that what is evident and seen and passed on to others. And the elders are going to serve this to you and I invite you I invite you to eat the bread and drink the cup and remember the grace that you have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And may this be a motivation to extend that grace to others, even to those that don't deserve it, just like we do not deserve it. I also want to be very respectful and please understand, I, I don't want to be rude, but if you are visiting here this morning and you have acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you're not a member of this church, that's okay, this is for you. But if you're here this morning and you have not received Jesus, 
You would not say I'm a follower of Jesus. You would not say that I don't have any desire. Then I respectfully ask that you refrain from taking this. No one's going to make fun of you or stare at you. I just ask you to just, just let it pass by. I love how God's word promises that today is the day that we actually can put our faith in the finished work of Jesus. Knowing that we are sinners has caused a great chasm and a divide between a holy God and, and us as sinners. But Jesus Christ closes that gap. And when we step into what? Relationship with him that he desires to draw us close. That you live with the desire to be obedient to him. You desire to have him as Lord. He reigns and rules. You don't call the shots anymore. It's a lot about surrender and submission in real time, real life. If you've made that choice, even this morning, I would encourage you to take this and receive this for the very first time as a follower of Jesus. I'm going to ask the men to come, some some elders and and deacons, and we're going to serve this to you. Uh, Just so that you know, first, we're going to serve you the, the bread, and then we're going to pause and ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then we'll serve you the cup and then we will sing a hymn together and we will go out greeting one another in joy and grace that we have received. Gentlemen.
pray with me? Father, as we come now into your presence, we are just, our, our hearts are bursting and overflowing with joy and happiness and gratitude for what you have done because we know, we know in the depths and darkness of our own hearts what exists. We thank you, Lord, that you have extended grace to which we simply do not deserve. And this grace, Lord, was shown through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so together as a local church, with our heads bowed, recognizing your authority over us, we want to express gratitude for your body that was broken, the pain that was inflicted upon Jesus that, that we deserve to feel, we deserve to experience. We thank you, Lord, for the blood that was poured out, for the life that was given. We thank you, Lord, for the life that Jesus lived in absolute perfection. Hard to even fathom and comprehend. And yet in that glory and in that perfection, you saw us. And you love us. We want to say thank you. Father, as we worship you through obedience now, in taking this bread and this cup, I would ask, Lord, that you would revive and, and ignite in us a desire, Lord, to show others through joy, through our testimonies and stories, that we would show others grace that you've shown us, that we would extend forgiveness to others as you have forgiven us. Now bless this. Direct us and guide us in obedience as we strive to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, it was the Apostle Paul who writes instruction, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, my brothers, for serving us. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's going to come and the rest and lead us. And let me just remind you that if, if you um, have heard this morning a reminder of what we have received and we are struggling in that area of extending it to others, or perhaps you've felt that you're beyond God's love and grace and forgiveness, then